So, something about me you probably don't know. When I was 26 years old, I found myself plotting a murder. Did you hear that? When I was 26 years old, I was planning a murder of somebody. Uh-oh, just, uh, at least she didn't run, you know, at least no one ran out the door. I was at the end of a volatile marriage to a girl that was, her addiction to drugs brought us financial ruin. Her infidelity brought emotional ruin. I was in a mess. I was in a mess of a place. And right on top of that, at the end of my rope, this time, so we had, we had just moved to this new town in, because of the army. They just moved the, uh, to Fort Riley, Kansas. And we had, you know, we had recovered a couple times from that spending problems in uh, Fort Hood, Texas. But at Fort Riley, it started again. You know, I don't know. I trust her with the checkbook again. And there it goes. We're suddenly behind on rent that I didn't know about until I'm getting the notice from the landlady. And, uh, and we're behind on our water bill. But this landlord is different than the other ones. This one had been around a military post her whole life, so she knew the rules. She knew what she could do to intimidate me. So she did. She tried to intimidate me in the worst way. She's threatening my army career, and I'm going to tell your first sergeant and this and that, and I'm gonna, you're going to get kicked out of the army. I didn't need that extra pressure piled on me at that time. And I'm thinking... How could this person be so evil? How do they not know my story, what I'm going through, you know? And I seriously thought about killing her, and how could I, uh, you know, I'm trying to justify in my heart why she deserves to die, which I don't believe that now. Okay, but, um, and I was pondering the best way to do it. It was at that point in my life I realized how deeply enslaved to anger I had become. And how desperately I needed God to break me free. So we're continuing a sermon series called Decluttering Your Soul. Letting go of the stuff that weighs us down. Last uh, week Marie talked about asking ourselves if the stuff we carry with us spiritually brings us joy. If it serves us well. She talked about that lady Marie Kondo little Japanese lady who uh, helps people unclutter their houses. Um, and me and Marie actually watched the show a couple times, so we knew what we were talking about, you know, watching her. And um, she's so soft and gentle with the people, helping them tidy up. It's kind of a, a cool thing to watch. But what we're talking about is on the spiritual level here. And sometimes on the spiritual level, there's some tidying up. But other times... Like in my case here, it was more like an episode of Hoarders where <laughs> this person, I mean the real bad one, where this person had raised rats in their bathroom and they took over the house and they're all camped out in the garage now and they had saved their piles of trash. I mean, that's where I was, spiritually speaking. It's pretty much how I felt when I came face to face with my potential for sin, with the thoughts I entertained in my mind and my anger that was left unchecked. That evening, after I found myself thinking these homicidal thoughts, I kind of had an out-of-body experience. Seriously, it's like, like looking at yourself and saying, whoa, 
that was there, and I, yeah, I just can't believe it. Because I'd always try to be a good person, and I was raised in a nice Christian home. I was generally kind to other people. But I suddenly became aware of things that were festering beneath the surface of my awareness, and I needed God's help and fast. And the good news, in fact, I did not kill that woman, so so God came through, actually. When I asked for help, God was more than willing to help me. And that was a really, that was the turning point in my life. I mean, that was my true, you know, I was, I'm like, I'm saved when I was little and all that, but then when I finally got tested for real and all this, this was marked my new life. This is from when my life began now is how I look back. And pre that and after that. God's been faithful, you know, in this. And uh, just because I got rid of that anger, I mean that extreme mess that was like that, the needs to be decluttered, just because that happened right then, that major thing, it, it didn't mean it was over. You know, there was still some decluttering to do and still to this day i'm not thinking of killing anyone so but yes the anger still fights so i am going to share some things i've learned about it uh so a disclaimer before i begin there's different kinds of anger Uh, I do like to use a famous quote. So one of them, Adam Sandler said, alligators are angry because they have all those teeth and no toothbrush. So I didn't know if you guys knew that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Not really, to be serious. There's a difference between the emotion of anger and anger the problem, okay? You can have an emotional reaction to something that should spark anger, Especially if there's abuse or injustice, you should be angry. Jesus got angry when people were trying to abuse the, excuse me, the poor people and sell them stuff to try to gain money in his father's house. And he knocked tables over and got a whip out. So, <clears throat> but I'm actually, I'm very convinced that suppressing my anger, so not knowing how to handle my anger, was a big contribution to. Uh, to not regulating it correctly and it building up to that point where I had that encounter with the landlord. So my goal is not to say to you, um, stop feeling angry. Okay? That's not the goal. The goal is how do you handle it when it comes and how do you handle it before it becomes a problem or if it has become one, how do you handle that? So... Three things I'm going to focus on is, one, recognizing anger and its contributors. It, like, has friends that like to hang out with it, if you think of it that way, it, um, to help it build up. And how to get rid of harmful anger. And number three, how do you practice uh, preventative measures? How do, you, how do you avoid it becoming what is called in the Bible a stronghold? So the first thing... I learned is how to recognize unhealthy anger and its contributors. So, does anyone, has anyone ever fished here? Raise your hands. A lot of people. If you ever fished, so for some reason, they created this, they created this cool tool called a bobber or a float um, that 
works on indicating that there is a bite. You put that on the line, you have the hook below it, it floats, and then when you see it go under, you know there's been a bite. Now, for some reason, um, people usually give that more to the children because we're too sophisticated to have a tool that works. So as we get an adult on fishermen, a lot of them don't, they don't like to have been uh, using a bobber. I want to just use the sensitivity of the fishing pole to feel the bite. But, um, so that's why uh, trout fishermen, when they use a the bobber, they call it an indicator. So just so you know, that's um, trout fishermen lingo. If you see someone with a fly rod and they got a little floaty thing, don't say that's a float or a bobber. You don't offend them. It's an indicator. So, which actually brings me to my point of this is it's a good visual for you to keep in you forever with anger or any other kind of stronghold, anything that's affecting your life. We look at our reactions, and that's an indicator. That is our indicator. I just think of it as a fish and pole moment. I think of, obviously, when I thought, I mean, that day, when I thought of killing someone, that's an indicator to myself that <laughs> there's a problem here, I think. I might be overreacting. Um, but other times, you know, someone else sees your indicator and they might help you out, like, you know, wow, that seems to be an overreaction. It may not be that extreme that I mentioned, but there's overreactions. It's like... Um, if I have an overreaction to something someone else said, then I go look for what's under the surface. And it's like the visual Marie used last week with the tip of the iceberg. And the iceberg's all that junk that's underneath that needs to be decluttered. And that tip's all you see, but then you see a reaction, and you're like, uh-oh, there's something, something to look at. Now, the Bible warns us to avoid you know, anger. It's like, therefore, in Ephesians 4.25, I guess I'll... Give you a moment if you want to look it up on your own device. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. I clearly had not taken that advice for years. <clears throat> So my indicator was completely under the surface that day. <clears throat> the important thing that we want to learn, though, is to be like a, a skilled fisherman where you are very sensitive to seeing your overreactions. That's what we're trying to learn. A good fisherman will actually spend big money on a fishing pole that has a very sensitive feel to it so they can feel anything, any little nibble. <clears throat> when I look back now at my volatile marriage with that ex-wife, um, I can clearly see that there was many times that I had one of those fishing pole moments that I overreacted, that I could have said, hmm, I wish I would have known that now, you know, then, what I know now. That, that I was overreacting many times in our lives, and uh, I, I could have I caught that ahead of time before it became such a, a buildup. The other important thing about the indicator is that it shows us the contributors to the anger, like I mentioned earlier. What, what attaches itself? It's like different things attach itself 
and they work together. And what they build is a stronghold. So 2 Corinthians 10.3 talks about strongholds in the Bible. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So that last part talked about it's really lies, things that are up against God, something that's and everything that is, uh, sets itself up against God. A stronghold, I guess to simply put it, if you think of a defensive wall, uh, if, you, if you read in the Bible, the Old Testament, sometimes you'll see they talked about a stronghold of a city where it actually had a reinforced wall. So simply it's the same thing for spiritually, it's the same thing in your heart. A stronghold is something where an evil spirit of anger or any other evil spirit has actually help defend, uh, build a defensive wall to protect you. That's what it makes you feel like. It's protecting you. So how do you know when anger is a problem and not just an emotion when it becomes a stronghold, when you have a defensive wall? If you've been bullied in the past, maybe you would use anger to try to prevent someone from hurting you, so you kind of hurt them on the front end, or you scare them so much, as soon as they say something, you're like, ah! And they're like, whoa, I guess I'm no, never going there with you. I'm never going to talk, you know, that with you because you reacted so violently. The problem with evil spirits is they lie. Actually, that's not the only problem with evil spirits. There's a lot, but a big thing is that they lie. So the whole idea, evil spirits lie and they tell us that, you know, if, um, if someone challenges something we say or something we do, then that is an attack on us and therefore it needs defended. So that's the angle, the anger evil spirit saying, don't let them attack you, they challenged you. Like I said, it's, this doesn't just work with anger. I have a friend that faced severe abuse and rejection as a child. So she has this combination of this fear of rejection that is so strong and it's attached itself to the anger and it, it's a powerful wall around her heart. So the evil spirits here have lied to her and I mean she, it's like subconsciously thinks she's going to be safe and happy by working the way she, she works with stuff. So how does it play out? How do you recognize these spirits? So the way on her is, she might send me a text that is kind of confusing and kind of throws me off guard, and I'm like, hmm, I'm going to think about that some, uh, a minute before I reply because, number one, she's probably going to be real defensive about it because she's defensive. And so I wait 20 minutes, and all of a sudden I get another text. And her other text was like, never mind, by you not answering me, you obviously don't need me in your life, and I'm over that, and I don't need you. Leave me alone. Now, did her evil spirits, the anger and the, the fear of rejection, did they give her what she wanted? She wanted, she wants to not be rejected. She wanted to be loved. But that fear of not being loved and not being wanted is so powerful. It didn't give me a chance, number one, to respond. And then it was like, get away before you hurt me. 
But what is it? That backs her into a corner where there's no one left. If you keep doing it, the other, most people are like, I don't have time for that. You know, I don't have time for that. Evil spirits, they give you an illusion of control. <laughs> She'll control that outcome as she ends up all alone. And it's sad, and I don't want that for her. And that's what all evil spirits try to do to you. And that's what the anger tries to do. It tries to make everyone so scared of you. <laughs> they can't ever hurt you because they're not going to speak to you. So in a way, I guess it's true. Mission accomplished. You weren't hurt. It's a defensive wall that prevents intimacy. It prevents growth. Sometimes a friend of yours is a good friend. So they try to tell you, wow, you've overreacted. I think there might be something there. You know? And here's, again, here's that, that moment you know. You know, someone's like, hey, you seem to overreact when your mom gave you a compliment. And then your anger goes up and you're like, why do you always take my mom's side? Why don't you marry her? Right? Or like, you're like, oh, you're so smart. Well, your clothes don't match. I guess that's an oversimplified way of seeing an overreaction, right? Some overreactions are way easier to see than others. But again, one thing we're trying to do is practice our sensitivity to seeing ourselves and not overreacting. So the second thing I've learned about anger is the way you handle it is pretty much everything. That's important. The way you handle that when it's revealed. You know, about five years into mine and Marie's marriage, I still had a couple anger issues. One time, uh, we were having an argument, and she was like, why are you angry? And I'm like, I'm not angry. <laughs> why are you angry? And she's like, hmm. She's like, I don't know what to call it then. <laughs> I don't know what you are right now, but that the look on your face, you look like you could kill me, and your voice is really, really loud. And we were, yes, we were having an argument. But what's this? What's going on? You know, that's not joy and happiness on your face, I think. But then she stepped out of our argument also and added, she said some kind things to me. She spoke love. She spoke kindness. She is telling me she loves me and whatever's going on, she don't want me to, to be stuck in that place. I mean, she was, she was speaking the truth of love to me. And that broke that wall down. That's how, you, that's how you break that wall down. It's, it's, that, it's the Spirit of God. It's kindness. It's gentleness. Fruit of the Spirit. That's, that's what breaks that wall down. That defensive wall just couldn't, it couldn't stand. She just said she loved me. She's, she's for me. She's feeling these soft feelings for me. Even though a few minutes ago, I didn't feel that because I felt like she's not going to win this argument. Right? I mean, she is not going to win this argument. 
But when she broke that wall down with, you know, God's help, then I humbled myself and I listened. And then I, I started thinking. I was like, I what, what is this? Why am I so defensive? And I looked deep inside, and, and then I, and I prayed, and the Holy Spirit started revealing some insecurities from my past, from my parents that were a little controlling, a little strict. You know, I had unforgiveness towards them. I had a lot of things in there that started popping up right then, and I got to, I got to pray that out. And that was a layer broke down, one stronghold took, taken down. And there's other strongholds there that have been prayed through as we've talked this out and worked this out in the marriage. If you're the one with the stronghold, your response is humility. That's how you, that's how you open up to, to free yourself. It's the most important thing. And I will, pre- I will repeat this later, but, you know, God's the one with the flashlight. So you invite him in to show you what's going on. And he, he will, I promise you, every time. If you're serious and you're like, show me this stronghold, he always does. I have never seen it fail. I've got to pray people for people and see them delivered of some amazing stuff and see that evil spirits go bye-bye. And if they were open and said, yes, I want to know, God says, there it is. How about that? Are you ready to let go of that unforgiveness? Now, if you're the observer, <laughs> the first thing you got to do is realize there's a difference between the person and the stronghold, right? I know it seems that's the very hard thing to see with our human eyes. Very difficult. You know, we're caught in that argument. I don't want her to win that argument. I mean, she's, we're fighting. And that stops me from seeing her she was able to see me. She's like, wait, that seems like an overreaction, Vince. I love you. Da-da. She saw me, not my stronghold. That was winning the argument, I think. So. <laughs> Ephesians 6 tells us this. You see, Ephesians 6, 12 it's known as the full armor of God passage. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. But the part we're pulling out of that right now is... Be aware that it's evil spirits, it's, it, it, that it's strongholds. That's, that's what you're seeing when you see that overreaction. And again, Marie handled that wonderfully. She saw me for who I was. She also used a technique found in Proverbs. This is amazing. An Old Testament scripture, Proverbs 15, verse 1. And we'll look at verse 4. Verse 1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. So she left the hard words behind and went to gentle. She turned my wrath away and shut my anger wall down. Verse 4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. 
Again, it wasn't about winning the argument, crushing my spirit and saying, you're bad, I can't stand you anymore. Look how angry you are. It's like, hey, I love you, and you know, God's got better stuff for you than that. You don't have to be angry. Like that. You know, let's look at this. So a neat thing here, Marie and I were in a relationship where she could talk about that, right? I mean, who knows? You can't just call out someone's junk, <laughs> right? <laughs> You're angry meanie. You know, that don't... How we do this matters. There's a time to bring it up, and there's a way to bring it up. Like I just mentioned, she gentle and and kind and she didn't you know there was times that I'm sure we had arguments she didn't bring it up but that was a moment she clearly felt from God she could speak into that so she did so once we realize there's a stronghold what do we do like I said we let the Holy Spirit do the guide the guiding and show us what the strongholds are and then there's, in deliverance ministry, some people use these R's because it's always cool to have, you know, four R's or whatever. So anyway, um, you don't have to remember them all. You just got to remember the concept. So these R's are rejected as my way of defense. If I reject anger as how I'm going to defend myself and say, you know, that's not, that's not really going to work for me. It's going to scare people away. Reject. Renounce it. Uh, and, and that's just knowing that's not the right way. <laughs> and it's like that my friend that I talked about that's like, you know, fear of rejection and just calling me names and saying, you don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's not the right way. You remove it by telling it to go in the name of Jesus. And then it gets replaced. You ask for God to replace that with some of his spirit, and he will. The Bible says perfect love cast out fear. If you have a problem with fear, then you need God's love to replace that. You tell that fear, I don't want you anymore, I, I'm not going to live that way, and then God replaces that with love if you ask him to. And that's how that stays whole, and that's how that doesn't come back. Again, you don't have to remember was it reject, renounce? What was the second R? You know, you don't have, that's not as important as understanding. You have to say, I don't want you, you're, you're not the way for me. It's not working. And God, you know, in the name of Jesus, for that to get out. And then God, I, I need you. I need you instead. So the, the last thing I learned is we need preventive maintenance. I read Ephesians, from Ephesians 4 earlier. I, I like how Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So number one there, I mean, you've got to be honest with yourself and others, right? It's like don't be false with your neighbor. Speak truthfully. That's with everybody. Some of the problem I found out in my and Marie's marriage, we had marriage counseling around that time that I had the anger issues. Um, 
we did a survey. The pastor here at the time, Wade, gave us a survey to fill out. We filled them out, and it's kind of a personality thing, but it, and it's kind of how you interact with each other. And there, we had a lot of good things on there. I mean, we're like, good, strong marriage and all these, but right here, both of you don't know how to ask for what you want. So we think it's like unselfish to never ask for what I want, but then I'm bitter about it <laughs> a year later because I've never addressed, I want this from you, I need this to feel like you love me, and vice versa. So being truthful about, with yourself and being truthful to others, that hurt me. That's being truthful, that hurt me. What you, what you said, that hurt me. And the way you say that, so here's, a, here's just a bonus thing, I'm tagging on this. Here's a freebie. Um, in counseling, you can get taught to use these things called I statements instead of you statements. Instead of, you're a meanie, that hurt, you know? Instead of saying, you're you, 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 you hurt me, you're bad. No, you say, my feelings are hurt because of that that you said. It's way different accusing someone and saying you than it is saying I I am hurt by that. So these, this is just communication skills 101 here. This is a bonus, like I said. This is a bonus for you to take, put in your, your pocket of skills. I, I, I am hurt by that, and I really can't live being hurt like that. Can, you, can we work this out where, you know, the mean things aren't being said? Sounds way different than you little meanie. But that honesty and knowing how to say something is, is a big deal. And being honest with God, that's always the funniest joke that we do. <laughs> Not being honest with God. Surprise, he knows. So I'll just let that one out right now so you don't waste time. Be honest with God. He knows. Like I said, he's the revealer. And again, God holds the flashlight. He shines the light. He knows what you're ready for. When, when, when there's a fishing pole moment and you realize it, the Holy Spirit has showed you that. And the Holy Spirit is saying, that thing can go now because you are ready for it. This is the only reason you even noticed and the only reason you even heard me. I've been yelling from the mountaintops for five years on that. And today you heard me yell and it was like, hmm, that seemed like an overreaction. That's the Holy Spirit saying, we can do this right now. That can be gone. You, you, it's, it's, we're taking one of the strongholds down. So to, to close, I'm going to walk us through a neat exercise. So way back in the very early, 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 early church, there was some people that did things called Ignatian exercises. And the whole idea of this was have spiritual disciplines to help us. And those disciplines were taken from the Bible, seeing, hey, what did Jesus do? He went alone to pray, right? Many times Jesus went alone to pray quietly. And then you, sometimes you see Jesus talking, not, not your will, but I, you, not my will, but yours be done, Father. They took things like that and they put it into prayers and said, how about we try to copy what other people have done in the Bible before us and let's use those to help us. And kind of some of us modern church people have said, well, I don't want to be legalistic. So let's just throw all that out. Let's throw out the stuff that people used to do that was effective. 
I don't want to be legalistic. I don't want to have a prayer that I say every day. That would be legalistic. Well, it doesn't have to be legalistic unless you make it that way. But it's a good tool that you can use if it's done correctly, which just means you mean it. (laughs) So I'm going to read this word for word. Again, this is someone else that was smarter than me wrote this a long time ago. A great way to pray is to look for God's presence in your life. More than 400 years ago, St. Ignatius Loyola encouraged prayer-filled mindfulness by proposing what has been called the daily examine. The examine is a technique of prayerful reflection on the events of the day in order to detect God's presence and to discern his direction for us. So we're going to try that, if you would please, with me. So I'm going to walk us through these five steps. And I just ask if you uh, could sit there and relax. Maybe let your arms down, close your eyes. Try to... uh, Really, the closing eyes is to try to keep distraction and just be able to hear more clearly. So the first thing we're doing is become aware of God's presence. Look back on the events of this day in the company of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's right here, right now. Your day to this point could be confusing to you. It could be a blur, a jumble, a muddle. Ask God to bring clarity and understanding. So let's just pause and do that. Holy Spirit, show us. Show me this day to this point. The argument I had or the confusing text or... Show me all of it and just... Let me see it with your eyes. So step two is review the day with gratitude. Gratitude is the foundation of our relationship with God. Walk through the day in the presence of God and note its joys and delights. Focus on the day's gifts. Look at the work you did, the people you interacted with. What did you receive from these people? What did you give them? Pay attention to the small things, the food you ate, the sight you saw, and other seemingly small pleasures. God is in the details. Number three, pay attention to your emotions. One of St. Ignatius' great insights was that we detect the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in the movements of our emotions. Reflect on the feelings you experience during the day. Boredom, elation, resentment, compassion, anger, confidence, 
What is God saying through these feelings? When you do this, God will most likely show you some ways that you fell short. Make note of these sins and faults, but look deeply for other implications. Does a feeling of frustration perhaps mean that God wants you to consider a new direction in some area of your work? Are you concerned about a friend? Perhaps you should reach out to her in some way. This is letting God show the light on the feelings. Number four, choose one feature of the day and pray from it. So ask the Holy Spirit to direct you to something during the day that God thinks is particularly important. It may involve a feeling, positive or negative. It may be a significant encounter with another person or a vivid moment of pleasure or peace. It may be something that seems rather insignificant. Look at it. Pray about it. Allow the prayer to arise spontaneously from your heart. Whether intercession, praise, repentance, or gratitude. And then number five, look toward tomorrow. Ask God to give you light for tomorrow's challenges. Pay attention to the feelings that surface as you survey what's coming up. Are you doubtful? Cheerful? Apprehensive, full of delighted anticipation, allow these feelings to turn into prayer. Seek God's guidance. Ask Him for help and understanding. Pray for hope. St. Ignatius encouraged people to talk to Jesus like a friend. So, in the daily examine with a conversation with Jesus, ask forgiveness. Ask for his protection and help. Ask for his wisdom about the questions you have and the problems you face. Do all this in the spirit of gratitude. Your life is a gift and it is adorned with gifts from God. God, I thank you for I thank you for your revelation. I thank you that you care, that you are so intentional with us. And I, I pray that you bless this prayer for each person here and that, that we all can take some of this with us and use it in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen.